0: Federal Drive is presented by GEHA, Government Employees Health Association, proudly providing health and dental benefits to federal employees and their families. Visit GEHA.com.
1: An acting commissioner for the Federal Acquisition Service. Two government-wide acquisition contracts to be awarded and a third launched. Dealing with the FBI relocation mess. The General Services Administration, you might say, has a lot on its plate as we go into 2024. My next guest says contractors are watching federal sales and marketing consultant, Larry Allen joins me now. And yeah, there's a lot going on for GSA. Let's start with the departure of Sonny Hashmi. You
0: know, Tom, Sonny Hashmi has been the commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service for the last almost three years. And Sonny's done a great job with the strategic view of the Federal Acquisition Service. He certainly tried to implement some things that will make the service be more efficient. One of the things most recently is the FAS reorganization plan that just kicked off about a couple of months ago. So, great stuff there trying to make the organization as a whole more transparent. You know, he started the Dead Easy campaign at GSA to make it dead easy for people to do business with the Federal Acquisition Service and you know, he's put in his time, Sunny's, before this. He was CIO with another agency in a previous administration. So he's been a great public servant with a good record of service, and you know everybody wishes him well in the private sector, and I'm sure none of us have seen the last of him. In the meantime, he is turning over a federal acquisition service that has one or two challenges coming up in the immediate year, and that's gonna be something that the acting commissioner, Tom Howder, has to work on.
1: Right, Tom Howder will be, I guess, acting commissioner, and there's not quite the flexibility to act as acting as you can when you actually have the permanent role. But the awarding of two of the big contracts, I think is gonna really be important, especially since they've been so delayed by protests. Tell us more about that one.
0: So what we're expecting in 2024, Tom, is the award of the OASIS Plus contract for a full range of professional services. This would be the follow on to GSA's wildly popular OASIS contract, Oasis plus is going to be substantially bigger, both in terms of scope and a number of contractors. The second contract coming up uh, in 2024 should be the Polaris contract, which is GSA's small business IT solutions contract. And that one in particular, Tom, has been beset by protests. In fact, Polaris itself grew out of a previous program that crashed and burned because of protests So right now, GSA is in the process of asking the original offers to make various updates to their offers based on protest decisions, and I think we'll have those offers analyzed and hopefully awards will come out in 2024. I'm sure there will be some protests on the award and no award decisions, but we're kind of now in the contracting red zone, if you will, on Polaris, so close enough hopefully to make it happen.
1: And then Alliant 3 is something you're saying could be put out for bid in the coming months. And that's going to be interesting because Polaris and Oasis Plus got a lot of protests at the solicitation stage. And we don't know about yet the award stage, but it's the solicitation stage that got these things so off course. Could that happen with Alliant 3?
0: It absolutely could happen with Alliant 3, Tom. Alliant 3 will be GSA's major IT government-wide acquisition contract for all kinds of solutions. The Alliant 2 program has been phenomenally successful. Everything points to Alliant 3, just building on that success. But as you point out, uh, they've got to do the 110 protest hurdles. Let's hope it's not 110, you know, picked that because 110 meters, but they're going to have to go through the protest hurdle. I think that we're going to see protests on any type of IDIQ contract, Tom. Over the issue of how you score past performance on mentor protégé agreements or JVs, even contractor teams, that seems to be an issue where there's some ambiguity now. I know that not just GSA but NIH, for example, is trying to nail that one down. I think we'll eventually get there with a series of rulings that set up case law. But Lion Three, which is on a very tight time frame to get out the door probably will see some pre-award protests and inevitably post-award, but they're doing the right thing. The Alliant 3 team, they just recently came out with a second draft RFP for people to comment on. So if you take a look at it, you have comments, I would urge people to do that. And if you take a look at Alliant 3 and it's draft stage and you say, hey, you know, this is gonna be a stretch for us, there may be no way we can really participate as a prime, that's fine. There's a lot of ways to do business on Alliance 3 and other GWAC contracts as a subcontractor, as a partner. If it's not something that you can do right now, it's a reach. Please don't protest it just because it's a reach. <laughs> uh, look for other ways to access your government customer.
1: We're speaking with Larry Allen. He's president of Allen Federal Business Partners. And then this is not going away, though, is the mess and the tangle that the awarding of the FBI headquarters – decision to put it in Greenbelt, Maryland. Now that's all tied up. IG report coming, which doesn't necessarily stop the decision, but maybe effectively it will. And this is going to take GSA probably throughout 2024 to resolve, I'm thinking.
0: Tom, I think you're absolutely right. And while this isn't a classic federal acquisition service issue, it is certainly is one for GSA overall. And it's one that is going to be in the headlines, it's going to be top of mind for the Congressional Oversight Committees. We've already had a couple of congressional hearings that have either focused or touched on this topic of the FBI relocation. You pointed out we're gonna have an IG review right now. So this is something that's going to tangle up the senior leadership at GSA, along with the other public building service issues like telework, not just for GSA, but for all government agencies and what that means in relation to GSA's federal office space portfolio. So whether it's this specific FBI office that certainly is going to take up a lot of political capital and a lot of time of senior management or the telework issue, we're talking about people in the administrator's office focusing a lot on these things, not so much on acquisition and procurement.
1: Yes, and the whole issue of telework and what should the federal real estate bulk be, how much space should the government actually be leasing here, or can they consolidate agencies into existing federally owned building? These questions don't seem to be anywhere near resolved. And it's almost like you have an irresistible force, that is the administration wanting people to come back into the office, reaching an immovable object, which is people like teleworking and they're not about to give it up. I see that is a low-level simmer again for another
0: year. Tom, I think you're exactly right. And as far as GSA is concerned, not all of these variables, of course, are within GSA's control. They can manage the office space, they can negotiate the leases, they can manage their workforce, but other agency workforces are going to have to be driven by their senior leadership. And there is going to be the tension there. You know, I can't imagine why. Anybody would mind being in a slug line at Woodbridge, Virginia, at 5 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, it's a great way to meet new people and uh, see a beautiful part of the country way before the sun comes up.
1: Right. But you can't smoke in the car if you're a slug line yeah. <laughs> passenger. And That could really be a setback for some people. But, yeah, I mean, and everyone acknowledges the traffic in the DMV has returned to even worse than it seen before the pandemic. Nobody knows why, but that's just one of those universal constants. And finally, uh, there is the fact that 2024 is an election year, so transition is GSA's big business operation when there is a transition. If there's a transition, a new administration, we don't know yet, but that's got to start taking some cycles in their thinking also.
0: Tom, it absolutely does, and what GSA has to do and what they do every time there's an election is they set up a transition office for each major party candidate so that that candidate has the office space, it has the supplies, it has the phone lines, it has the IT connections, whatever it is that group might need to get its work done. So even if there's someone way ahead in the polls, GSA is obligated to make sure that they have two transition offices up and ready to go to help that transition take place after the election. It's a little bit less of a pull if you've got the incumbent that wins re-election, but it's a lot more if you've got somebody new coming into the office and that takes up all of GSA. It's not just space that the public building service does, it's furniture, it's IT, it's support, all of the things that the federal acquisition service does as well, and it's not a lot of stuff that people outside of the agency see, Tom. But if you're in one of the major campaigns, or if you're in GSA, you know that the closer we get to election time, the more resources these operations take up.
1: Right, and if the nominee, you know, is Donald Trump, they'll have to have really large dumpsters because that's where they like, <laughs> that's where they like to put the uh, the briefing books that come in from the agency transition teams. Not making any predictions whatsoever. Larry Allen is president of Allen Federal Business Partners. Thanks so much.
0: Tom, thank you, and I wish our listeners happy selling.
1: We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before.
3: So I like to call it our North Star. Having a people first culture really starts with the people in order to get our incredibly difficult mission accomplished. In terms of leadership, which is a great question, I think we all know that culture is really driven by leadership and the, the behaviors that we allow and we uh, you know, uh, reinforce in our leaders. So we really work at making sure that our leaders are bringing out the best in their people every day. So again, that they feel they can bring their voice, especially an opinion that might not go along with the majority of a group, so that we get that diverse perspective, we get those different ideas and experiences. And that's really where we find that it's important that leaders are purposefully bringing out their talent on their teams to enable our mission.
2: Excellent. We're, we're going through a, a culture project at our work. Now. Oh, great. It's, um, it's been six months in the making, and it's going really well, but it is work. Yes. And it requires from the top down, so I'm, I'm also involved in that. I hear you. Great. Throughout your career, you piloted many different talent management programs, including at NASA, the CIA, the FBI, just to name a few, and you have an amazing career. What have you learned or how have you might have changed along the way in creating and leading those programs?
3: Yes, and I, I, I am so honored to have had a career in public service across multiple federal agencies, always in the realm of human resources and workforce performance. And I think because I study organizations and people in them, I've come to realize, particularly in the federal government, that many of our programs are really grounded in the industrial era thinking, that this is organizationally structured in a hierarchy with boxes and lines on charts, uh, with the center being around jobs and what do we need to get this job done in terms of skills and training. And what I found is that we're really not in the industrial era anymore where we would promote the smartest people who knew that work and they would then tell the people on their team how to do things and oversee that work. We're now in a digital era and the information era where work gets done collaboratively across geographic boundaries and certainly across org charts. So uh, we like to call it networks um, or hierarchies. And we really need to, again, unleash people so they can find those other people who are working on similar problems or have the right ideas. And so I really like to think of our work now in the talent programs being human-centered It's more about the user and the experience than about the rules and regulations. So although we have to have rules and regulations, certainly in human resources, is that person experiencing what they need and getting what they need for their role at that time? So not so much on the job, but on the person. So for example, we're recruiting what's the applicant experiencing? Because if they're not having a good experience with our organization from the time we're recruiting them, they're gonna go work for somebody else. Same thing with like first-time supervisors. We know they need certain training, but telling them to sit in a class for one week and then hope a year from now they'll remember what they learned to apply, that's not really human-centered. The human-centered is, What do they need when they need it? And building modules or or just-in-time training and bringing that to the people, to that user, as they need it. So that's really, I think, the most important focus of talent programs today in this era to enable the workers to be the best they can be in their their roles.
2: Excellent. New thinking. Um, This is always an interesting question. Has there been a time when, as a leader, that you've made a mistake?
3: who have different perspectives or at a different point in the career, not just the people who know the program or the technical really well. And so that was a mistake I made. And I realized in my own sense, I wasn't listening to very different opinions. And I probably should have, because I would have learned more about what was needed for this program going forward than just leaving, getting, getting upset that it didn't go a certain way. So I've really practiced active listening. I've practiced making sure there's very different people and find my own voice in how I can prioritize the things that are most important to me so that I can actually balance both family and career.
2: And you're doing it well. You're Thank uh, you. having known you now for seven or eight years um, and work alongside you. Uh, your passion is infectious. Thank you. Your uh, intelligence and, and the thoughtfulness with which you approach uh, all of these issues, its uh,